up guys it's your boy paul aka mr what the 40 your favorite podcast host every week i want to hear from you guys in every episode i'll be sharing a voice note that my listeners send in if you want to be heard send over your voice notes to what the footy at hotmail.com hey everyone my name is marvin and i'm a south londoner so big up my south londoners but paul it's been amazing listening to you ever since episode one. Listen to What The Footy. And I feel like season three in particular has been special. Like my favourite has been listening to Paul speak to the sports scientist, Lewis, and just hearing about how COVID is really changing football. But I'm excited for the rest of the season. And peace, everyone. And a big, big episode coming to you now. Guys, I hope you love it. Not like it. I hope you love it. So you know what to do. Download, subscribe, rate and review and tell a friend to tell a friend. Let's go. Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now it's a putting off. Powerful people and I think they need to recognise that. But then also they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, Based on single source of revenue alone that being the TV so when in the league let's just win this to appease the fan welcome to the what the footy podcast the podcast takes football fans behind the scenes giving you insight into football business management and operations today i'm joined by a very very special guest He's a trusted advisor to Premier League clubs. Owners trust him to appoint directors of football. Stuart King, partner at Nolan Partners. Welcome to the What The Footy podcast, man. Hi, Paul. How you doing? No, I'm very, very well, thank you. I'm a bit upset because obviously your lot beat us the other day, but we won't talk about that too much. Um, But yeah, Stuart, I thought obviously it would be good to get you on the podcast for this season where deep diving into football clubs and how they're structured. And I think... The, the sort of roles that you work on in terms of advising clubs and directors of football, I think is a really big a big aspect because they're almost seen as quite mysterious. Mm-hmm. Um, I was speaking to a guy and he said that you look at director of football, if a club is doing well, they attribute that to a director of football. If a club isn't doing well, it's almost like they need a director of football. So just almost start off and explain to people what a director of football is because it's called a sporting director, yeah. a technical director yeah. and so many names, man. What is the mysterious role of a director of football? Um, so to be honest, the title director of football is a bit of an outdated title nowadays. One or two clubs still use that job title. But nowadays, as you said, it's a sporting director or a technical director in this country. That's That's typically the the language that club use that clubs use and what is it well the honest answer is that it's actually different from club to club so it's not the role doesn't work exactly the same in every club the role works the, the way the role works differs depending on the way that the club itself is structured so for an, as an example some clubs the owner likes to be very hands-on and very involved in player transfers, selecting the next head, head coach. So in, in that type of club, a sporting director is often a, a trusted advisor to the owner, you know, the, the right hand to the owner 
the person that goes and gets stuff done, whereas it's the owner that makes a lot of the decisions around football. Whereas in other clubs, um, owners are, they know what they don't know. So they, they, they don't want to be involved in football decisions because their background is in business. And so they hire a sporting director to basically set the football strategy for the club. Um, some clubs, the, 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 the way the model works is that the sporting director is the most important, anything to do with football, the sporting director is the most senior, the most important person. The head coach will report into the sporting director. The sporting director will select the next head coach as of when the, the time is right to make that change. They will, they will decide on the playing style, the philosophy, the player recruitment strategy, the, the youth academy philosophy. Um, whereas in England, there are also other clubs where the, the coach and the sporting director work side by side. So together, mm. they, the, the, why, why clubs typically, I mean, I think you might go on to ask me this question, but why clubs typically go, have, have a sporting director is to allow the coach to coach. Football clubs now are such big operations, they're huge. Mm. And so for, a, you know, in the, in the old school manager days, to have the manager focused on playing two matches a week, England and across Europe, all the recruitment, all the scouting, all the data, all, everything that comes with it, it's just too much for one person. So a sporting director is there to basically do the medium to long-term planning and the strategy for a football club, yeah. to allow the coach to focus on the short-term strategy, which is win the next game and make the players better. Yeah, and no, I was just about to, 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 to almost lead on to that because I was going to say, if you look at the former style of Alex Ferguson and, and David Gill, Arsene Wenger and David Dean, you almost had that two-pronged approach whereby you had a manager and an executive working together, but we've almost seen a bit more of a push towards getting a, a sporting director in. And I wanted to almost ask there, where is this idea of a sporting director almost come from because obviously we look at american sports typically you look at someone like billy bean mm -hmm. uh, being a general manager over there typically in the past we've had coaches like dave bassett he came on the podcast mm -hmm. and kevin keegan and harry redknapp all sort of play that role of a director of football how has it almost evolved from um a former coach being a director of football and maybe stepping in as a caretaker if things went wrong to to now actually being professionalised into, into what it is now? That's a good question. I think that there's a couple of, there's a few reasons as to why the role's mm. really grown in prominence. To be honest, in the last five years in this country, I mean, it has existed before then, but I think it's really yeah. in the last five years that it's um, it's become the industry norm, particularly in the Premier League. Um, now, why is that? Well, partly because there is now a lot of foreign ownership in, in English football and, you know, a lot of American ownership as an example. And you mentioned, you know, the, the, the GM model in the States, a lot of the American investors that own clubs here in England, often they do have a, an NBA team or an NFL team. And so they are used to having that model of a general manager, that person who, that one point of contact for the owner to go to, if they've got any questions about what's going on, that one point of accountability really for anything to do with sport in their in their franchise in their football club. Um, so I think the, the the foreign investment has 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 definitely um, because because in the olden days, not in the olden days, well before 
I guess a chairman. Yeah. Was, often the chairman, ten years ago, yeah. The chairman was the, was a local businessman who was very hands on in running the football club, so would be quite involved, um, and it still exists. Is quite involved in in day to day decision making, but when an owner is based in a different country and has three or four different sports properties, I said be it an NFL team, an NBA team, whatever it may be, um, it needs more leadership sitting in the club on an executive basis. If you look at the model, so whilst the model is is fairly new in this country, it's very well established in Europe. So I think clubs in this country have looked at Germany, they've looked at Italy, and they've seen that, well, they, they kind of looked at that model and, you know, the German, German football clubs are well regarded for being well organised and well structured. And part of that is because yeah. of the model that they've got. And the sporting director, slightly different in Germany to England in terms of how it works. It's a, it's a much higher profile role in Germany. The sporting director is often the person that does all the press conferences, um, sits in the dugout as well with the coach. So that, that isn't how it works mm. in this country. In this country, it is more discreet and it's more behind the scenes. Um, but yeah, I think, I think as the Premier League's become very international and very global, we've looked at how things are done in other countries and looked to pick out what we think are the best bits from, from other leagues and from other sports. Yeah, and, and just sort of in terms of the background of these people, if you look obviously quite famous and well-known sporting directors mm-hmm. from Lewis Campos, obviously he was, a, he was a former coach and scout. You look at someone like Michael Zork, who's a, he's a Dortmund, someone who used to actually play the game. Michael Edwards at, at Liverpool, someone who's almost come through the ranks, has a degree as well. What's, what's the sort of typical background of these people? Because it, it tends to be quite, quite widespread. Well, I think because it's still quite a new thing in this country, there's no set yeah. pathway for people. Um, people have had to sort of kick down doors and find their own path to get to the job. Yeah. Um, typically, it's either coming from a, a scouting and player recruitment background. Um, the job is much more than just scouting and player recruitment, but of course... It's signing the best players that's going to have the biggest impact on winning matches on the weekend and getting three points and doing well in the league. So um, owners have typically um, been quite fond of hiring someone from a scouting and recruitment background because that is such an important part of the job. However, um, there are plenty of examples of, of sporting directors that have come from a youth development background. So... Um, they were, you know, previously were academy managers at Premier League clubs and academies of Premier League clubs. They're big operations with lots of different divisions within them. So it's kind of a, a sporting director at a slightly lower level. So they're used to running big, broad football departments. Um, and also, you know, th- th- there are individuals that have come from more of a performance analysis background. Uh, Michael Edwards being one that you, you mentioned earlier. So. It, it's quite um, it's quite open at the moment, to be honest. What we are seeing, though, is that these guys are career. They're becoming career sporting directors. So previously, what we would see often is former coaches or former managers looking to become a director of football, often because they'd hit a part of their career where they were maybe looking to do something different or were out of work. However, that would create a lot of uh, unease with the current coach because the current coach is looking yeah. at this other coach who's come in to be his boss yeah. and thinking, well, hang on, 
what, what's this guy's agenda? Is he here to take my job? Is he, what's he going to be saying to the owner about me? Blah, blah, blah. So now that the sporting directors are, they've never, often they've never coached, or if they have coached, they've never coached at first team level. So there's no threat. So there's, so that, that allows the, the, the coach and the sporting director to work together as a team, as opposed to constantly sort of trying to sort of suss each other out, basically. Yeah, because I was just about to ask on that as well. How do you almost find that balance between the importance of division of labour, of understanding that there needs to be a long-term strategy of continuity versus actually undermining the manager? Because when I had, obviously, Dave Bassett on here as well as a manager and a director of football, he almost said that it would always really be difficult to appoint a director of football when a manager's already there because while the manager has to be open-minded, he can almost feel as though he's almost to a degree being undermined. Yeah, I think it depends on the culture of the club and it depends on the personality of the manager. Yeah. So the clubs that do it the best are clubs that are naturally very collaborative and they're not about the mm. egos. You know, it's about they make decisions based as a group of people, not one person who has complete control over everything. Um, so I think, yeah, like, I mean, it, it, it can cause a bit of friction with the coach when a club decides to appoint a, a sporting director for the first time. But it all comes down to communication. You know? It comes down to a good owner communicating honestly and transparently with the coach. And so the coach actually sees it as a benefit to him as opposed to a threat. And I, I typically find that, you know, the, 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 the younger coaches coming through, they actually want to work with a sporting director because they see the, the benefit of having that support in place, which will allow them to do what they need to do to be successful, which is win games on a, on a weekend. Yeah, and I wanted to also add on to that as well, just sort of in terms of hiring a director of football, like I sort of mentioned at the start, everyone believes that you hire a director of football, they're, they're this, this messiah and the answer to all your problems. Yeah. Everyone's been saying that Man United need one and should, and should hire one. I'm a Arsenal fan, I've always been in favour of having someone come in there to, to sort of be that link between between the off the pitch and the, and the on the pitch. What's, what's the actual structure in and around that's needed once a director of football is, is actually higher because it's not a hard fast rule if you hire one and you're going to suddenly be successful so what's the sort of environment need, needed for them to, to really th uh, thrive well again it, every club is different so there's no cut and paste yeah. template to, to guarantee success and, it, and often it comes down really i think what what it needs is alignment so the clubs that i find get it right and have the most success for their budget are the ones where there's a there's an alignment between the owner, the CEO, the sporting director, the coach, the academy manager, the chief scout, where they're all moving in the same direction and they're all working towards the same goal and the same strategy. And so in that type of environment, the sporting director isn't there to tell everyone what to do or um, to be that one big voice. It's to support everyone else so I, I see it almost as like the glue that holds everything together so as an example yeah. it's the person that connects the academy with the first team well, what does that mean in practice what that means is it, it, it ensures there's opportunity that person there working with the academy will in, academy manager will ensure that the young talent coming through the academy they have the opportunity to go into the first team so as opposed to just going and signing a left back for 10 million or whatever, because the coach wants a new left back. 
they've got that they're, they're giving an opportunity to ones within the club first before they go to the market and spend a load of money. So it's not it's not rocket science. It's just connected thinking and succession yeah. planning basically. And are there any sort of sort of clubs that you look at and almost admire the sort of stuff that they do? Obviously, ones that you don't work with because obviously that's a bit confidential. But any any clubs that you look at and sort of admire what they're doing? Well, I mean, I think Liverpool are the obvious one at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, in terms of alignment across all of the different areas, from ownership to the business side to the training grounds to the first team. Um, and you know, their sporting director is a is a guy that is very low profile, you know, and that's that, and, and and is is happy being that glue behind the scenes to kind of pull everything together. There are other examples as well in this country. I think Brighton are going down a really exciting pathway at the moment. I think Dan Ashworth's a very good technical director, sporting director. And another club that I feel have got a really strong alignment across all the different areas of the club. Um but actually, I think there, there are some really good ones in this country. Um, mm. The culture in this country is that clubs and they like to prefer to keep a low profile. So often fans don't really know, if they see that their club is five one, they don't really know well, what is he, what's he doing. Uh, if there's some bad results or if something happens, it's easy to blame that person because we don't really know what he does. Um, I think, I think, that's often through fault of the club for not explaining to them. When they make that appointment, they should be very clear to the fans about what he's there to do, uh, yeah. what the objectives are, how success will be measured, et cetera, et cetera. So there's just some transparency and some openness about what the project is. So I always like working with the clubs that are more open and transparent with their fan base about what they're doing and why they're doing it. Yeah, because I was going to actually add on to that as well. And- What's your thoughts on obviously clubs actually being quite public with the strategy? Because I was speaking with Tom Gorringe uh, the other day. He works at Bristol Rovers and they did quite a really, really interesting thing whereby they actually wrote a letter to their to their fans and published their strategic priorities. And in there was stuff like the importance of youth development, how they want to almost echo and follow that sort of Brentford model of developing players, uh, bringing players through the league, like what Peterborough have done as well. Do you, do you almost feel like directors of football need to be more transparent and almost speak and communicate these these sorts of plans so, so fans can almost sing from the same hymn sheet as them and sort of know that that's the process? Or no, it's a fair question. I no, I think I don't think the directors of football, the sporting directors, need to be more transparent because actually they they can yeah. get more stuff done if they're not known and they can just get on with things yeah. as opposed to being beholden to the media being criticised for this and for that every every week. I actually think it's up to the club at a club level to, to be more transparent, not the sporting director, if that makes sense. So yeah. club communication to explain everything, not just what the sporting director is doing, but everything, the whole strategy, and then just allow the, the sporting... It's, it's a tough job being a sport. Again, you know, people don't realise because it's not um, as visible in the media, but it's a tough, tough job you know, long hours, seven days a week, um, forever changing, really competitive player recruitment market. You know, it's, uh, mm, it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a tough job. And, and actually, you know, I know pretty much all of them and, and, know, them, and, and know them well, and, it, and it's full of good people as well. You know, what, what, what makes a good sporting director, honestly, a good human being? Because so much of it is about building the culture in the club and that 
the person that's the connector between all these different people from the coach to the owner. So if you're not a good person and if you're not a good communicator, you get found out very quickly and it causes big trouble. But so I actually think that they probably don't take enough credit in my opinion for the good work. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was also going to even add to that as well. I feel like almost director of football, I feel like obviously behind the scenes that the people who work at the club know the work they're doing and put, putting in to create that long-term strategy and vision. But I think that I think fans almost decide their fate based on the quality of players that they sign, who, who they've almost acquired. And it's almost a case of behind the scenes, fans probably don't understand that we wanted this player, but unfortunately he signed for this club and this happened or we couldn't get this over the line. And, and, and they're almost judged solely by who they brought in. Which, which is very, really, really tough. And that's football. I mean, that's, that's why yeah, we love yeah. football as well, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you've, got, you've got to measure success in, in certain areas. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure they will measure their own success in, in how players they've signed have done. But you've also got to remember that fundamentally it's the owner that often decides on what players are going to be signed and what the budgets are to sign these players are as well. Yeah. So, um, you know, a club nowadays is a reflection of the owner that owns the football club. So... And the sporting director is basically there to given a mandate to run the club in the way that the owner wants the club to be run with the budgets that the owner is prepared to invest to run that club. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, it's short, medium and long term. And and of course, the the job of a sporting director is much easier long term if they have short term success on the pitch as well. No, definitely. And I think just on the topic of owners as well there, I think one thing that fans have always almost wanted to really understand is is an owner comes into a football club, typically a lot of them haven't been in football before and fans have always wanted to, to almost, for them to bring in guys who understand football to almost get the machine running. What's What's been the sort of attitude from owners that you've worked into actually just letting the football guys crack on and do all the work and, and them just taking a step back from it? The best owners that we've ever worked with are the owners that know what they don't know. Yeah. Um, so often, you know, these some of these guys have made billions in business industries that are nothing connected to football. Um, they love football and they want to be successful and they want to leave a legacy and they want to build something special, but they don't want to sign, be the person that selects the coach or they don't want to be the person that decides on what number nine to, to, to sign. Um, yeah. They want to recruit people with good track records and good human beings to make those decisions. Obviously working with the owner and the owner will challenge their thinking. Um, but God, I mean, the, the, the ownership now in this country, it's so broad, you know, it's literally from all over the world um, with differing objectives and differing strategies as to why they've acquired yeah. the club. Some, some really good, some, unfortunately you know not as good um so it, it it's really case by case in this country for sure um do you almost feel as though a, a modern football club needs a, a sporting director to, to be successful i don't think it needs it i think it helps uh you know, there are examples of clubs that have had fabulous success without one i mean sir alex has been the obvious one yeah, yeah, yeah. and that wasn't a small club so it it's i'm never gonna preach and say a club absolutely needs to have a sporting director to be successful but i think if they if, if they really look at what they are what they want to achieve what skills they've got in the building it does often make sense to bring someone in to complement that and to 
to wrap some strategy around what they're doing to allow to use the football analogy to allow your players to play in the best positions you know to allow your chief scout to just focus on signing the best, uh, scouting the best players allow your coach to focus on just just making the, the first team as, as good as they can be to win the next match allow the youth academy manager to focus on developing this young talent and this person's job is to connect it all and bring it all together you mentioned a key thing there whereby you believe that it helps but obviously i think the main evolution of it has really been the fact of the ability to have that continuity. I think that the data tells us that the average lifespan of a manager now is about 14 months. So do you almost mm. believe that they're... Because I've always been an advocate of, for me personally, obviously being an Arsenal fan and you know our sort of history and where we are now is just worlds apart. I've always been an advocate of guys within football clubs who understand the values, whether they played there, like Michael mm. Zorka Dortmund, whether it's Edward van der Sar as a CEO at Ajax, Having people from football clubs who understand the values and the philosophy of that club, what's your sort of take on that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think if if um, there's merits to both sides, I think if you bring someone yeah. in from outside, um, for example, we do a lot of work in the MLS at the moment, um, and soccer in the states is booming. Um, yeah, it's obviously on the pitch. The quality is still some way off what we have here in the Premier League, but it's really growing at a rapid speed. And I think it will be a yeah. major league in years to come. And, and they're now working with us to bring European talent to come and run their, their football clubs to basically connect their football clubs with the global market. So you've seen, as an example, Atlanta sold Almiron to Newcastle for however many million uh, not too long yeah. ago. And I think they want to start connecting with European clubs and, um, and bringing Europeans in. Um, and so I think there is a time and a place for someone to come in and, 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 and really bring that heavy hitting leadership. But at the same time, if they are coming in from the outside, I think it's essential that part of their job is to develop someone from within the club to then take over from that person yeah. when he she moves on. So I think you can bring people in from outside. I think there's definitely merit on going from within. Ajax are another example of a club that have, harnessed former players, Mark Overmars, Edwin van der Sar, et cetera, et cetera, and have had success. But I also think that you need people that know what good looks like. So I think yeah. you need to find a balance between understanding what best in class looks like, and that will probably involve bringing someone in from another club or another organisation, but connecting that with the fabric, the people that are the fabric of their club and developing those guys as well to take over later on yeah no i think i think i've definitely even me myself i've learned so much just doing this episode and i think that the sort of key takeaways that i'm learning from this is that there's really no blueprint and i think it it, it literally could be like like you just sort of mentioned there like for ajax it works having the ex-pros mm -hmm. there for 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 dortmund it works having michael zork there for for other clubs it works by just having people who understand the game and and, and have grown through that club for other people it's it's hiring clubs, someone yeah club clubs are in different you know clubs are always in different positions whether they're at the bottom of the league trying to avoid relegation or pushing for champions league trying to get back into the top for whatever it may be so sometimes a club needs a builder sometimes the club needs a fixer you know if some if a club if a club's in a mess and it needs a big turnaround that's when you bring in the big, strong personality who's going to make big, strong decisions, upset a few people, sack a few people, make some big changes. 
but that's not the right type of person to bring in. If the club's actually in a pretty good place at the moment, but it yeah. just, wants to, just wants to gradually improve and gradually advance, that's where you want to bring in a lower, lower profile, a lower ego, someone that's just going to support the guys that are there at the moment as opposed to sacking people and bringing new people in and all that sort of stuff. No, definitely, man. And we always like to end the show with the, uh, with the what the footy question. So uh, what the footy needs to change or happen within your space? Um, I think, I think, well, look, I, I grew up loving football, knew, knowing at a very young age I was never going to be good enough to any, get anywhere near the pitch at a, at a decent level. But I was always fascinated by the business side of football. Um, and I would like to see more youngsters coming through, looking to, looking to obviously the, the focus is on being a player or being a coach or even being an agent. But understanding that there's some really cool and really interesting career pathways that exist within the clubs and, and, and being excited and driven about building a career. And I think your podcast um, will support this as well, kind of giving people a view as to what it's like to work at these clubs and, and how you can actually have an impact on the game that you love, but just from a, from a slightly different angle that, that's not on the pitch, quite simply. No, definitely. And I think um, also as well with a lot that's going on in terms of football big conversations around the future of the game and when I had Tom on here as well he said that this is the biggest point in football in over a generation what do you think is almost needed to 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 really solve all these issues that we're talking about in the game right now we've got another hour (laughs) (laughs) hey listen we've got we've got a couple more minutes so take take me away with your thoughts because Tom Tom gave a really good answer because we're we're almost at a point now whereby for as long as I can remember in my lifetime, having conversations about the distribution of wealth, the distribution yeah. of, of power within football. And um, I think there's, yeah. I think Gary Neville, no, Jamie Carragher mentioned a really good point on Monday Night Football and the fact that, um, especially with the big picture stuff that's come out, that no club ha- has the right to almost remain in the Premier League or, or have that power. What's your sorts of thoughts on, on the future of the game, where it's set and how yeah, it links to what you do? I think Gary Neville made the point a while ago that, you know, the, the concern is that football will, will end up eating it. It's got so big, it will end mm. up eating itself. And so I think, we, you know, what I would like to see is the industry use this, this difficult period as a chance to reset in a number of areas to connect it back with the, you know, the essence of what the game is, is the fans. So connecting it back with the fans, um, restructure, putting together a model that is more sustainable, that is, uh, that, that is more viable for the smaller clubs. Um, but maintains a fair competitive balance. It is a, that creates a football industry, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch that is more diverse as well and is more reflective of society. There's, there's some really big issues that I feel, you know, I'm actually, is, is, you know, if you read the news, it can be quite depressing at the moment, but actually I, I'm, I, I'm optimistic about how exciting things can be. So if we do talk in five years or 10 years, actually yeah, yeah. it's a much, it's a, Football is in a much, it's not in a bad place now, but it's in a much better place for, on many different levels, um, comparatively speaking. But, you know, it'll be a long journey to get there, but I'm, I'm optimistic. I, th- I actually think, you know, football gets a lot of stick in the press, sometimes mm. right so, but what I see working in it every day is that there's some really good people and some good human beings that work in the industry, the ones that you don't see on the cameras every day, and they... They generally, one, they work their ass off every day and do they want to do the right thing and do a good thing. So we want to harness those people and give them more of a platform to do more. No, Stuart, absolute pleasure coming on the What The Footy podcast. Really appreciate it. 
directors of football, they're so mysterious. Thank you for, for listening. Directors. Get, sporting directors, sorry, sorry, <laughs> name changed. They're, they're obviously been an enigma for, for quite a while, but Stuart, thank you for coming on the podcast. Trusted advisor to Premier League clubs, the man that appoints sporting directors at Nolan Partners. Thank you very much, man. Cheers, Paul. Thanks for having me. Guys, I hope you loved today's episode. Not liked it. I hope you loved it. Guys, keep on sending those voice notes to the email address, whatthefooty at hotmail.com. I'm looking forward to seeing you here next week for huge, huge episodes. Yeah? Notice the plural there, guys. Have a great week. Peace and love. Let's go. Knew some other guys liked me, but I didn't know it was to that extent. Imagine being a kid in primary school. Now it's a putting awesome. Powerful people, and I think they need to recognise that. But then also, they need to be represented the right way. Sport in general is nothing without fans. Uh, based on you know, one single source of revenue alone, that being the TV. Let's just win this to appease the fans. Keep up with Team USA with gig speeds over Wi-Fi from Xfinity. Can your internet do that? Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Requires gig internet and compatible gateway. Gig speed Wi-Fi is shareable across all devices. Actual speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Xfinity, proud partner of Team USA. Have you been to Express lately? People can't get enough of their clothes. They're like insta-confidence boosters. The jeans come in a temp-control fabric that keeps you comfortable no matter the weather. And the t-shirts, hands down, they'll feel like they're made of the softest fabric you've ever worn. And get this, the suits have stretch and look sharp. Like, what? How do they do that? Everyone's raving about the newest looks from Express. Just check out the five-star reviews. See for yourself and shop the latest at Express.com and in stores.